Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast with Cold Tea Collective, where we share stories for, by, and about Asian millennials. My name is Natasha Jung, and I'm your host for this podcast and the founder and executive producer of Cold Tea Collective. Now, this is a very special episode as it is our year in review for 2019. 2019 was a year of inspired action for Cold Tea Collective, hitting the ground running after an epic 2018, read Asian August. 2019 was a year where we, along with our community, really stepped into the spotlight and we couldn't be more proud to be part of the conversation. Our organization started as a way to share stories where we could connect with not just one another, but also within ourselves, tapping into unexplored stories from our past, reflected in our present lives, and telling of our future. Here are some highlights of our 2019 year, including key themes, top stories, and experiences, with clips of some of our favorite interviews of the year. With the rise of groups like Subtle Asian Traits, Asian Creatives Network, and more, we learned that we're no longer the token Asian. From sharing memes to sharing dreams and fears and guidance on our careers, yes, I did mean to make that rhyme, these online communities have made it possible for us to realize that we really aren't alone. Now, to put it into perspective, here are the numbers. Subtle Asian Networking. Now, this is a group that highlights different career opportunities, um, as well as informational interviews, and a way to connect people with others in their intended fields or professions to really just help them get a head start and support one another in their professional development. This group is at about 38,000 people across the globe. And we actually had the opportunity to host an event in Vancouver on unconventional careers with subtle Asian networking. We also have, I guess it's sort of a kind of networking, but we have subtle Asian dating with about 545,000 people and growing every day. So if you're looking for a special someone or maybe even trying to, I guess, hype up your friend or family member or like, I guess even yourself, <laughs> subtle Asian dating is a place to check out and it's pretty hilarious the, the stuff you'll see on there. But then, of course, there's the one that started it all. Subtle Asian traits at a whopping 1.6 million members worldwide. Now, the group is just over a year old and already it's connected people from all across the globe sharing stories and memes and just everyday experiences of what it means to be Asian. And that is something special. Along with dozens of other groups and subgroups based on interest, geography, orientation, and more, there is a place for all of us. And through that, we learn that representation means more than what we just see on the screen. It's about what we see in the classroom, boardroom, or even at the gym. And I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize the strides Asians have made in media this past year, but it's actually something that angry Asian man, Phil Yu, has been talking about for the last 18 years. Very recently, it's, it seems like that, um, I've heard myself referred to a lot as an OG, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I just, it's, it's occurred to me that like, wow, that's, that's coming up a lot lately. I'm like, am I an OG? Like, it makes me feel fairly old. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, well, the O and OG doesn't stand for old, as yes. we know. It stands for original, original gangster, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but I just like, wow, have I, I've reached OG status. You have. You know? yeah. and, and you know what? It's, it's not just the fact that you've, you've been creating content for the Asian American community for a long time, but it's because 
I think you've really been influential. So we were, before we started this uh, formal portion of the interview, we talked about how long you've kind of been in the game. Yeah. Um, so Angry Asian Man, maybe just for our listeners that um, want and need a little bit of a, a history lesson here. How did that all come about? And who is Angry Asian Man? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm Angry Asian Man, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of ways it's just an avatar. You know, it's not, it wasn't ever meant to be me. <laughs> It was like it's like it, it was it was a persona when it was originally conceived. Uh, so Angry Asian Man started in 2001. So I've been at this for 18 years, and originally it just was like this little space on the web for me to just talk about whatever, like rant. And um, I, I, when I started, I didn't know that it was um, that we were referring to this this sort of expression as a blog. I just mm-hmm. didn't I didn't know that yet. That that term hadn't really been popularized yet. Right. And then, uh, but. That's what it was, and it was just a place to sort of do a dump of, you know, a reaction to things I was seeing and write a little bit about my identity and community and mostly things I was seeing in the media, I think, mm-hmm. or lack thereof, actually, a lot, of, a lot of times in terms of Asians' representation. This is so early that um, this is before, like, Facebook or, or Twitter or mm-hmm. any kind of social media really existed. Mm-hmm. But if they had... I kind of would have just channeled all that energy into something like that, like one of those things, right? I mean, we on on Facebook or Twitter, we just we make funny comments, we comment on whatever's happening right now, we share links, right? Mm-hmm. I probably would have just done that, but since those didn't exist, I kind of had to create my own little platform, and then mm-hmm. it sort of that's the humble version of how it started. <laughs> you know, was there um, kind of a a specific moment um, or event that happened or didn't happen perhaps that kind of inspired you to, to actually take action? Because I'm sure you'd been kind of observing maybe the lack of representation um, for Asian Americans um, in media or misrepresentation even for a long time. But is there a kind of a specific event that inspired you to actually, you know, put pen down to paper, so to speak? Uh-huh. Uh, no. I mean, honestly, no, there was no nothing that sort of spurred the, the creation of the blog other than like like I want to sort of express myself and sort of part of this process of creating something and putting it out there. I think, but if there was anything, I mean, the, the, the process of starting it started bef- way before it actually launched was sort of my own um, understanding of my Asian American identity and how that came to be. I think uh, in college, that's where a lot of that sort of work happened. You know, I think, and that's probably, and that's true of a lot of, a lot of people, not just Asian Americans, but people where you, know, you sort of figure out, start, at least start the process of figure out who you are and what your cultural or ethnic identity, what you want it to mean. And for me, my Asian American identity really, really started to form in college, you know, taking Asian American studies classes and learning a little about history, and also, but also sort of um, uh, my own pursuit of, of, of studying sort of media and, and films and television and, and kind of reconciling my, my love of this stuff with the fact that, like, God, I never see myself reflected in these things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so all of that kind of... Um, kind of coalescing and bouncing off each other and and then on top of that sort of this the rise of this this new medium called the internet <laughs> what right? is the internet this new this new information <laughs> delivery system um, yeah that's kind of how that all started i mean 2019 was also a year of firsts first across many industries and different spaces but also for us because it was the first time that we were invited as international media to the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. And there, that's actually where we made a lot of friends and got to see firsthand the power of community. Here are some clips from the red carpet at the 35th annual LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. 
We spoke with a few old friends and new friends about what it means to them to be at the festival, including Michelle Celine Ang of 13 Reasons Why. We are here at the 35th annual LA Asian Pacific Film Festival in Los Angeles, California, where we celebrate the best in Asian entertainment. I'm Natasha Jung from Colty Collective. How does it feel to be here on the red carpet for the 35th annual LA Asian Pacific Film Festival? It feels amazing. It's my first time here and I just recently moved to LA, so it feels really good to be surrounded by the community and to support one of our own. You play Courtney Crimson in 13 Reasons Why. Um, brilliant character, brilliant writing, brilliant show. Um, how has that opportunity kind of changed your career or kind of uh, trajectory for you? Well, it was my first job, so it definitely started my career. Um, but I'm very grateful to have given the opportunity to explore her because she is so multifaceted and unexpected. And so I really hope to be able to continue playing uh, like similar characters. I'd love to play someone who's fearless or an anti-hero because I think that's a very uh, challenging thing for any actor to work on. What are you most looking forward to for Asians and entertainment in the next little bit? I'm looking forward to more Asians creating their own movies and plays and generally more content not just for us but for like whoever they want to create it for and to explore new themes that haven't been explored yet. An exciting new series debuted on Netflix this year. Based in modern-day San Francisco's Chinatown, Wu Assassins wooed us on our screens at home. We spoke with actors Celia Ao and Lawrence Cao about what it means to celebrate at this festival as well. It's been awesome. I mean, I'm not from LA, I'm from New York, and seeing a big, it's like a big Asian family reunion. So it's, it's super dope to be here with everyone and just to be able to meet people that I have I've seen on TV growing up and I'm like, oh, you're real. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> so that's been pretty cool and get to hang out with my friends. Yeah, it's been awesome just being here with Celia, especially since, since she's from New York, just being able to support all the uh, different Asian American stories that people want to showcase and uh, express. So it's, uh, it's a celebration, you know, of Asian American stories. So we're excited to be here. Check out our video interview about Wu Assassins with Celia and Lawrence on Facebook and YouTube. We also heard from Hayden Cito from Edges 17 and the upcoming release of Come As You Are being released in theaters in February 2020. And alongside him is Chris Pang from Crazy Rich Asians and Charlie's Angels. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm so happy to close out the festival. You know, it's, it's a big deal. And, and for us to have completed our first film and, and for, for the community to really embrace it and support us is, is an amazing thing. Uh, and I couldn't have done this without everyone here. So yeah, I'm very happy and nervous, really nervous. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. You're a handsome guy. You, you're way, that does you're not... way better dressed than I am. Look at me. I didn't know there was a red carpet. Yeah, I, I, I told him to just come real I cash. Did, I didn't read. I didn't, so that I could look better. I didn't read. I didn't read the invitation properly. In very fine print, you're invited to the red carpet. I'm oh shit, when I showed up. But yeah, no, I'm happy I'm here. I mean, VC is one of the first festivals that like found me in Edge of 17 and like wanted to show the, show the movie here. So, you know, David Magdale, his whole team, like it, it's, a, it's an honor. I had to be here and obviously to support this guy. You know, it, it's been a, you know, it's a long way from, you know, that Korean barbecue we had. You know, since then, like... I mean, not really. Like, we're, crazy we're, we're Rich has come tomorrow out. Tomorrow we're probably gonna go right go back again, Go right and, back and, and just... Go to our YouTube or Facebook for more hilarity from this dynamic duo. Chris was also 
In Empty by Design, a film written and produced and directed by Osric Chow, Andrea A. Walter, and Dante Bosco. Hear what Andrea and Dante had to say about the filmmaking experience. I am really nervous. I'm also really excited. Just I'm really excited the community came out for us. That's the whole like, reason we were able to get all of this together. So that's just the most exciting part for me. What was something unexpected or pleasantly unexpected about shooting in the Philippines? Well, uh, I mean, the heat for everybody. Initially, the heat was pretty crazy. And just really just the cultures really learning a new way of how they shoot films in the Philippines and trying to um, take the best parts of what they're doing and the best parts of what we're doing here in the States with Asian American filmmaking and really start building bridges. And really one of the best surprises is just the wonderful actors that we have in the film. Rian Ramos, uh, Madeline Humphreys, really, really beautiful. Alex Godinez. Like we got some really, really great actors out of the Philippines and so I'm just so delighted to bring some of them, some friends, some new friends to America, building bridges from America, Asian America into Asia and let's go back and forth. I understand that you've possibly, you know, you talked about on, on your panel session uh, earlier last week and about some of the challenges that you went through in the industry. What were some of the forces that kind of, you know, helped shape you and bring you to be able to produce and direct your own feature film? Um, just everything. Being shut down a lot of times as a female, well, not just as a female, as a Eurasian, being foreign, being an immigrant, it was really hard to get anything going. And it was nice that our all of these guys, our Asian community, was able to lift me up. So instead of struggling like every other film, this, uh, this group was able to bring me up and make this film. You've been in the industry for uh, a, a while now, and uh, my understanding is that you also mentor and build opportunities for emerging performing artists, uh, especially Asian uh, performing artists. So what is the key to longevity as well as giving back to the community? You know, I, I learned a lot from uh, the late, great Mako, who played my uncle or my father several times in, in my career. And uh, lastly, his last project, uh, Avatar Last Airbender where he played Uncle Iroh and I played Zuko and he had started East West Players which is one of the longest running theaters for people of color in America and in his passing as Uncle Iroh he's always teaching me and even in his passing about it's not about you it's about giving towards something bigger than you to the community knowing that I'm in that lineage of actors that I follow in his footsteps and about making it better for the next generation and so it's just about Get, you know, just giving to the next generation, making it better for the next generation than it was for us. And things are changing. There's a lot of work to do, but we are making a lot of, a lot of great steps. We also spoke with the filmmaker and subject in documentary film, The Ugly Model, which is about the real-life experience of Kevin Kreider, a Korean-American adoptee who felt ashamed, ugly, and emasculated because of his ethnicity in America. Here's the interview with filmmaker Doris Young and fitness influencer and model Kevin Kreider. Uh, I'm a narrative filmmaker, so I've made uh, a few uh, uh, narrative feature films before. And a mutual friend of ours, Bianca Kuiper, who is, ended up being the producer of this film, knows Kevin because they're both Korean adoptees and they were at a function together. And uh, uh, Bianca is also a colleague of mine. We used to run an uh, uh, Asian film festival in Amsterdam, Cinemasia. And one of our missions is to promote the uh, Asian stories on the screen. Um, to create, tell, and uh, to screen and distribute our own stories. So she had met Kevin and she said, oh, this guy has a fascinating personal story, being a model, being rejected uh, uh, for covers and such uh, because he's Asian, an Asian model, and that could really fit into an, uh, a really awesome Asian film, which we don't see much of. We've never seen a, a film about an Asian model and his struggles, and as an Asian man, and about Asian masculinity topics. So it was, it was 
quite interesting to me, but I didn't know Kevin. I didn't know if I could do it because I don't do documentaries. But we met with him in New York, um, and yeah, he told me his personal story, and I was just really struck by it. And I thought there was a lot uh, of interesting things we could do with it, and I decided to come on board. So basically, like I told her all my life, I've always felt inferior to Western society and culture and whiteness, right? So I always thought like Asianness wasn't as cool, or there's something to be ashamed about for it. And you know, I felt invisible being an Asian man too growing up, um, and just a lot of insecurities that I was going through. And I thought I was really over a lot of this stuff until we went back into the documentary and started filming it. And I realized, oh my God, there's still a lot of things that I got to work out, you know. And the whole process was very healing that you can probably see when you watch the documentary that uh, I really had to face a lot of the baggage I was holding on to. And I was able to let go a lot of that by going through this whole process, which is really cool. So they really brought it out of me, which you'll see in the film. If you had one piece of advice for uh, other Asian men in the entertainment and, and, and modeling industry uh, about how to find that confidence, and how, uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say get out. I'd, I learned a phrase. It's called decolonization. So it's decolonize your mind. You, decolonization is just basically having the feeling that you are equals as to Americans and Europeans and white culture because I think a lot of Asians we need to put ourselves on the pedestal as the standard and not whiteness as the pedestal and standard and to start treating each other as equals and not as inferiors because the only way it's going to change is if I can change how I feel about myself and you and to start to treat you better too. At this festival, we got to see the world premieres and sneak peeks of what would become some of 2019's best performing films, including The Farewell, starring Aquafina. Curtis Lum of Siren and DC's Legends of Tomorrow reflects on being able to catch the screening with Colty Collective at the festival. It means the world. Um, thanks to you, actually, uh, we saw Farewell the other night by Lulu Luang and um, starring Aquafina and Tai Ma and man I was just completely blown away and seeing all of these wonderfully talented people all in the same room I'm so inspired. Um, representation is everything and you know even though we've had some big shifts in the industry uh, there's still a lot more to do and a long way to go but it all starts here and so I'm just so proud to be here and supporting you know fellow talented artists. It started with Crazy Rich Asians and has continued on through organizations like Gold Open, an initiative started to support the successful opening of films with the support of those like the Shibutani siblings, Don M. Chu, David Chang and more who have the means to buy out entire theaters to make the film viewing experience accessible and more widely celebrated. One of Gold Open's celebrated films in 2019 was The Farewell, starring Aquafina. We had the opportunity to attend a pre-wide release screening of The Farewell in Los Angeles as part of a special screening at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. Now, the post-screening panel discussion was hosted by director Lulu Wang and stars Aquafina and Tai Ma to the stage. Based on an actual lie from Wang's real life, The Farewell stars Aquafina, who plays Billy, a character based on Wang, a Chinese-born, American-raised millennial, who finds out her beloved grandma in China has been given weeks to live, and everyone in the family knows, except Nai Nai herself. 
cute, complicated family dynamics, and hilarity. We heard from Wang on some of the pre-production conversations she had with potential distributors before she signed on to A24, which is, fun fact, the same production house behind award-winning Oscar film Moonlight, who, another fun fact, was directed by Wang's partner, Barry Jenkins. That's right. Did y'all know that? Well, if you didn't, now you do. Wang said that, I always knew that humor would be a big part of the story. And so many producers wanted to make it a comedy and wanted to make it like my big fat Chinese wedding, but it wasn't actually the movie that she wanted to make. And when it came to actual pre-production planning, she had to answer questions like, why are there so many food scenes? They thought it was repetitive, but she said, no, because that's literally what happens. We eat all the time. Is that the same for you all? <laughs> the film is a reflection of Wang's real life. When her producers suggested that the tiger mom character give a hug or an I love you to combat the potential stereotype, she argued, I'm portraying my actual mom. Don't tell me I'm portraying a stereotype. If you could make that happen in my real life, I'll put it in the movie. And when asked about what her parents thought of the film, she said that her parents said it was pretty good. As if parental pressure and approval weren't bad enough, Wang's mother is a former cultural and film critic in China. Read more on what we learned about the filmmaking experience for Lulu Wang, Aquafina, and Tai Ma at coldteacollective.com. With the collective action of Gold Open, Cape, and the enablement of the Asian American and Canadian community, we celebrated the film with the highest theater average of the year, surpassing Avengers Endgame. Cold Tea Collective even hosted our own informal meetup at the Vancouver premiere, where we got to meet more of our collective and celebrate Asian American film. Since the early days of Cold Tea Collective, we've drawn inspiration and strength from those with the courage to do what others won't do. And one of those people is Osric Chow, who brings people together like no other. And while Osric may be one of DC's newest superheroes, the Atom, we think that connection is his most special superpower. Here's why he does it and what drove him to be instrumental in building the Asian American filmmaking community. People in LA, you know, we have a reputation of being kind of flaky. And so we just showed, start showing up. Yeah. That's it. For anything, for anybody, you know, no questions asked, no like, okay, you owe us a favor. No, we just showed up because we want to support you. Yeah. You know, and the whole Asian community, you know, it wasn't just us. Everyone started doing that. Yeah. And you kind of felt this energy. There was something like tangible in the air that you can feel. And it, it was such a wonderful feeling. You know, everyone's coming behind all these projects. I mean, when Crazy Rich Asians happen, like... Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a game changer. I mean, we kind of, well, I guess we didn't know it, but like. You hoped for it, that it would be a game changer. When I saw Searching at Sundance last mm -hmm. year, that to me was the game changer. Right. And Searching, I mean, it didn't have the impact that Crazy Rich Asians did, but to me mentally, that's when it happened. I'm like, this is the year. And so again, it was every day I went to a different event and I would just mm -hmm. invite everybody that I could think of and more and more people showed up every single time. Asian Heritage Month, May. Oh, yeah. Last year, we went to a different event every single day. Wow. That's, thir that's a lot of partying right there. And it is. Someone that didn't even really drink. you got to have like high energy. I mean, I don't drink. <laughs> my, and my roommate, Andrea, she's, you know, an introvert. She gets like exhausted yeah. going to these things. But she showed up every yeah, time. Because you, you believed in what you were doing. You knew that you wanted to bring the community together. And I think that speaks a lot to, I guess, also like your belief in, in people. And, and positivity as well. Yeah. But it, it was a, a really monumental shift. Like, 
for the longest time, Asian actors, um, I mean, I'll speak of the Asian male actors, because for the longest time, we've been fighting for these token Asian roles. And there's like one, the idea that there's only one and it can only be one of us. So therefore, everyone else is an enemy. Like last year, we just like we've talked about it. Yeah. We don't like it, but it's still something that was like so it, like inherent in us from years of conditioning that last year we finally like shed that. And it's like, no, like there, there shouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. So not only am I not going to see you all as competition and because we've been hanging out a lot, helping each other with the tapes for the same characters. Mm-hmm. Like what? I mean, a couple of things that, I mean, we should have already known, like everyone does it so differently. Right? Yeah. So we're not in competition with each other. And two, there shouldn't be one token Asian character, yeah. right? There should be more and we have to create space for ourselves. So that's part of, you know, us creating our own projects. And so one thing that I try to do a lot is, you know, try to help people develop and write their own projects um, because, you know, we're, we're creating space for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is true for any industry, but I think in particular, well, probably because I'm in it, uh, for the film industry, there is no room for you. You have to make room for yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And I tell people that just create, create, do your own thing, bring people together. And at some point they're going to want to bring you into whatever they're doing. Shortly after our chat with Osric, he actually introduced us to a couple more friends of his, including Yoshi Sadarso, Peter Sadarso, and Manny Shi. In a special episode of Pearls of Wisdom, which we named the Bromance Challenge, we talked about the group's friendship, what they admired about each other, and how trouble just always seems to find them. Favorite memory? <laughs> uh, well, I think Apartment 210, uh, we've always been like yeah. disaster oriented almost <laughs> no like whenever we see things on the street we always stop we yeah. always stop that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say oh, yeah okay. well there was it wasn't even just that there's multiple yeah, times there's just, times. <laughs> just, just so many situations yeah. where like I think there have been like at least six situations oh. where we just see like people arguing and we actually stop oh. so Chinese of you <laughs> I know it is but it's just like we, we've always I don't know like apartment 210 never been the type of people to not do nothing. Ironically, though, in America, I guess it's safer to not do nothing because you might get like sued. So, yeah, suing is huge. But there was a, there was a time where we just got off work and we just we were doing um this setting up job where we just like set up photo shoots and stuff. And we just had just gotten off and we were going home to Ralph's just to pick up some stuff. On the way back, we were we were driving back from Ralph's and <laughs> we were all in this car and we see um these these this guy and this girl the girl was bleeding and the guy was holding her like this no. and we were like what's going on and and we we all we're all this this type of people so we the moment that we saw the car went boom super slow then we see him jerk her head and, and the all everyone all the doors open immediately <laughs> and the terrible thing about this is like no. we all ran i ran too then i was like one two three four Nobody parked the car! The car was rolling at the that time. The car was rolling yeah, out! Was I awesome. had to run back. Who was driving at the time? Nick. Nick. Oh, Nick. And I ran. I was like, we are. Oh, the thing my is like, God, Nick. The, the moment that that happened, the car was like, <laughs> <laughs> We all sprinted toward the situation. Yeah. And then I was like, Thank God you had, like, you know. I looked back, the car was like cascading into the street. Oh my God. We, I got the car fired. Okay, sure, but the thing yeah, is, like, we ended up dealing with the situation. Yeah. We even called the cops on this guy. Oh we gosh. stayed with her. We drove her back to her place. Jeez. But it was just like, I, I, I love doing that with a bummer because I feel like 
as a group, like we don't just sit by. You know, we yeah, don't, don't, don't exactly want to just sit by. I was not there. You've been there. You probably be the one in the car to stop the car. Probably, I probably would have been in the car most. Yeah, we've been in like we've just been we've we're disaster oriented group. It just happens. It's not like we. I can't remember. You stumble upon it. When this guy was out, that was a good memory too because I was freaking out. I was freaking out, dude. I was. I called everybody. Like bleeding, and I was like, I almost just got mugged. I have blood all over me. Wait, this was a separate incident. This is a separate incident. We've had a lot of disasters. We were all leaving, and then Peter gave us all a text. Eleven p.m. I've got blood all over me. I don't know what's happening. I almost got mugged. I think I've been stabbed. Yeah, and then I was like, what? I turned my car around, and then. Like as I'm on my way back, it was JK, not my blood. <laughs> That's the <laughs> only situation. Oh my god! It, it was the oh other dude's blood because this guy kicked his ass. That's That's the thing is, I didn't know what happened. I was just in shock. No, I've never you been mugged. I was actually just around the corner at yeah. the 24 yeah. around here. Yeah. No. He was walking out of the. I even looked for cameras after they didn't have cameras. He was oh, trying geez. to walk yeah. to the gym and he was yeah. on the phone uh, right outside of the gym and somebody tried to mug him. Oh my and gosh. He just, Destroyed the guy. Well, and he just and he didn't walk away with anything except a he was fine. face full of I think blood. He oh. took out his teeth. Yeah. No, yeah. I like don't know if I took out his teeth. But I just, I just, it was like I black. It was like it was crazy. Yeah. No, you like just did what you did, and then you just like, freaked I have out. No idea. I've never been in a situation like that. Well, the guy like tried to. I was stupid. I had, I was wearing those baggy shorts, and I had my wallet, and I was like, I don't have any money, and I don't know why I didn't just go inside. I kept texting. Yeah. I have that bad habit of when I'm on my phone, I just freeze. Yeah. So then the guy was like, I see your wallet right there, dude. I'm like, I don't. Like an idiot, I pulled out my wallet, and I had a fake hundred from a Geico commercial. I had no cash. <laughs> I had no so cash. He he got his ass he kicked for a fake hundred. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the thing is, I thought I, I didn't know if he had a knife or not. That's all. Yeah, like, yeah. I had all, after all that happened, I couldn't go into the gym. I had blood all over me. Could have just yeah. given him the fake hundred. That's what I was. Saying. Yeah, no, I didn't. Hey, it's okay. But the thing is, I was on my phone. And I was like, I don't have anything, and I didn't think I was gonna get mugged. I put my wallet away, and as I was putting my wallet away, and I had my phone here. All I saw was just a fist coming, so I ducked, and the guy knocked me, but then I grabbed him. And so, oh my god! Yeah, he's actually a better fighter than I am. He's yeah. an instinctually better fighter. Peter's yeah. ruthless. It's, it's oh awesome. It's so good. He's like an animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would want him on my side if no. I had to get into a fight. Yeah. I, in, in real fights, these guys are way better than I am. And this How many real fights have you been in? Is that a, uh, like quite a bit yeah. actually? Yeah. No, no. I would really? say like you were pretty experienced at this point. You were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're probably more for, like oh. at. I mean, my whole thing is to avoid fighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, say, well, say it. That's your experience say, now. Dude. You avoid fighting yeah. by fighting. Like, in winning. Well, the guy was about to love school. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah, to do? For sure, for sure. I get beat up. The guy was swinging at me, you know? Osric also introduced us to fellow DC superhero Black Lightning's Chantal Twee. We got some rapid-fire questions with Chantal Twee. Ready for this? No. Pew, pew. Sorry, they're going to come flying at you anyway. Alrighty. Favorite fantasy superhero? Batwoman? That's Sailor Moon? Series. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Um, favorite real-life superhero? My mom. Oh, my dad. Oh, I love it. All the feels. Ramen or pho? Oh, I hate you. No. <laughs> There's a place in Pasadena. There's a place in Pasadena called Bone Kettle that okay. has... Pho, broth with ramen. What? A combo of the two. Wow, it's that's the best. That's what I call Asian fusion right there. It's the best. Yep. Uh, poutine or animal style fries? Poutine. Yeah. En français. Poutine. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to get poutine? Poutine. In, in Montreal? Probably one of the greasy ones, like Belle Province. 
I don't like the fancy ones. I like the double deep fried heavy gravy, lots of cheese curd. Mm, so for our American friends, what is poutine? Poutine. Poutine? Sorry. <laughs> I don't... Okay, I grew up in like West, like the Western side of Canada and like... Yeah, we it's okay. We forgive you. Thank you. Poutine is a Quebec traditional dish that is basically double deep fries with gravy and cheese curd. That sounds amazing. It's super heavy. Yes, yeah, so you got to be prepared for that. But delicious. So good. Yum. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, Montreal or LA? Oh, LA. LA during the winter, Montreal during the summer. There you go. Good to know. Do you have plans to go back anytime soon? Yeah, for the I, summer? In two weeks. Well, I'm going to go home for three, for in three weeks. Oh, that'll be so good. Yeah. Any Wong Fu fans listening right now? Well, in 2019, we fangirled over Wang Fu in real life. Wang Fu shaped our understanding of what it was to be just another nice guy, what it means to be a yappy, and what it would look like if there were an Asian bachelorette, just to name a few. In this spring, we got to sit down with the legendary Phil Wang in Bopo Mofo Cafe and learn about why he decided to open up a boba shop. Hey, what's up? I'm Natasha Jung from Culty Collective, and we have a very special guest here today. You may recognize him from a bajillion YouTube videos. We're actually here in the San Gabriel Valley um, at Bopo Mofo Cafe. Phil Wang of Wong Fu Productions. What's up? Now I'm Phil Wang of Bopo Mofo Cafe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you lead with now? Um, no, it's still definitely Wong Fu, okay. um, but then like, you know, uh, I tell them like, oh yeah, by the way, I also opened this cafe, and that's usually when people are like, Wait, what? Like, yeah. what are you doing? Why did you do that? Um, I think the funniest thing is actually when sometimes people come into the cafe and they see me behind the counter and they're like, why do you work here? <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is my cafe. Or I, I joke with them, I'm like, oh, you know, Wong Fu's not cutting it these days. You know, oh, I gotta no. pick up a second job. Yeah. <laughs> Which is clearly not the case, right? And, uh, right, right, right. But this is just yeah. a, a passion of mine that I've had for a very, very long time and uh, finally got to make it a reality after a lot of, lot of work. Yeah. Where did the idea of opening your own cafe come from? And wonderful drinks, Yeah, by yeah, the way. Cheers, yeah, cheers. Cheers! I'm already halfway through. Yeah, well, it's uh, hard, to, hard yeah. to resist, right? <laughs> I guess it started like back when I was in college, and it was always more like as a joke. So in college, I worked at um, a, a boba shop um, down at UC San Diego where uh, I went to school. And um, I guess just to back it up even further, um, I feel like, you know, when I was in high school, uh, that's actually when Boba was first kind of coming over to the States. Um, this was like late 90s, early 2000s. And I just remember the first time I had that experience with it, I thought, wow, this is so cool. And it wasn't like, oh, like, this is so good. It was more just like the culture of going to get Boba and, you know, having something that felt distinctly Asian American just made me feel really empowered. Mm -hmm. I feel like as like, you know, first or second generation kid, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times growing up in America, we have to, um, assimilate to other people's cultures, right? Like you know, hip-hop and R&B, skaters and you know, <laughs> punk rock bands or whatever. Um, but when I first had Boba, I was like, this is Asian-American. Um, so I associated Boba or cafes with being cool, like being cool Asian. So I was like, okay, when I go to college, I want to go work at a cafe because yes. um, I want to be cool and I want to be in that culture. So I worked at the cafe and that's where I really fell in love with like the hospitality aspect of it. I loved being creative. I loved um, you know, just like working with my hands and doing yeah. like, you know, just like these, those kinds of tasks. 
um, and being creative through food and, and beverage and, and service. Um, and I, I just joked, I was like, oh, you know, like someday when I'm old, I'll just, I would like to just, you know, I'll sweep, you know, my own little cafe. Yeah, like that's, that's, that's what I'll ride off into the sunset <laughs> doing. Um, and then, you know, obviously Wong Fu happened. Like, yeah. like I'm kind of condensing this thing, but Wong Fu happened. It happened. <laughs> yeah. It's been um, happening for a long time. Yeah, it came into my life. And, um, you know, in the recent years, I was like, okay, uh, I, I, I want to kind of utilize the, the reach and influence that I have through Wong Fu to maybe there's a possibility to open up a cafe sooner, sooner than later, like a brick and mortar. I want it, it kind of started with actually just wanting me to create um, a physical space where young creatives and young people could just like work on their stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess that started, that came from, so when I, after I graduated, I actually moved to this area, the San Gabriel Valley and actually got a lot of scripts done at boba shops like I would you know there's your also, office yeah like there I mean yeah we lived at you know we were still living like out of like a like a like a little townhouse and like I would you know go to cafes to get work done um I, you know the stereotype is like you know there's always like screenwriters at Starbucks and I'm like hey you know, there's screenwriters at boba shops too you know so a lot of Wong Fu's biggest videos were written at a boba shop and I wanted to create a space where you know other people future you know creators like me could like have that and so that turned into, oh, well, we, you know, we could sell, I, it should, we should probably, you know, sell products and sell juice boxes or whatever. And uh, it just turned into, wait, maybe this actually could be just a cafe. So that was like around like four years ago. Uh, and I just got really excited about doing it and, um, you know, saw other YouTube peers starting businesses. And I was like, okay, like, I think I, I, think I could do this, you know, and yeah. um, found a good, great partner uh, with, um, with Eric, uh, who's a co-founder. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just went for it and it took like over three years to like finally get to this point, you know, wow. from, from when we first sat down and we're like, are we going to do this? Yeah, let's yeah. try to do this. Yeah. What has the response been like from the community so far? I feel like people came from far and wide yeah. to come visit you. I mean, and it's, it's been, it's overall has been really, really positive and um, really supportive. And I'm so appreciative of like all the fans that, you know, have been following on social. Like they're not even in LA, but they're yeah. just following because like, I think there's something aspirational about it too, where you get to see like a, a brand new business start from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, you know, we do YouTube or we do filmmaking and like, I guess not, not everyone can relate to, you know, try, wanting to become a YouTuber, but I feel like everyone can understand, oh, what's it like to start a small business or, yeah. or specifically like a, a cafe? You know? Well, it's also like a, a physical space, so it makes it really tangible. Right, well. exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think like people are just like interested in seeing that journey and that process and so um, yeah like you know once we finally open like you know we lines out the door and you know people are still coming through like you know we're like a destination for some people's trips you know like oh my gosh we traveled like myself and and, yeah. and Pam here who's off camera uh, we traveled about like 30 minutes to like get here and we didn't even know if you're gonna be here but yeah. you're here so it's I know, like perfect I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm glad that and the thing is like that's why we also chose to you know open in, San, in the San Gabriel Valley like you know we wanted to you know, put our roots down in the communities, in a community that, you know, raised us, you know, like that, these are like the, these, like these Asian enclaves are where we came from. And, you know, we wanted to bring this business back. We wanted to reinvest in this community um, because I feel like as, you know, the next generation, you know, I want to take pride in where we com come from, you know, and in, in, in our dual upbringing. So I feel like a lot of times, you know, you see new businesses, like they leave, you know, where they come from and we wanted to kind of bring it back. I mean, we're very grateful that we have people traveling from all over, but you know, our first, first and foremost, we want to be a good cafe that services, you know, the people that, that are like, you know, in this neighborhood, yeah.
And I understand there's like a lot of other uh, boba boba yeah. shops around too. Yeah. I mean, like on this blog, there's like four. <laughs> like, like that's that was a big challenge. Like a lot of people were saying, like, why are you guys opening here? Like, that's going to be like really difficult. And um, you know, we believe that you know what we were bringing was was very different, and we weren't trying to. And you, you, you've seen our menu, like it's like this, you know, Chinese, Taiwanese, American fusion, like you don't really have that anywhere around here. We, like, yeah. We're not trying to come in here and say, we make the best dumplings or the best beef noodle soup. We're not going to beat, you know, that grandma that's been there for like, you know, 40 oh years. Like, there's no way. Grandma's a G, like yeah, for a yeah. reason. Yeah, right? we, we would get destroyed if we, if, you know, if we, if we tried to do that. So we, we, we took pride in like offering a product that is uniquely like really like truly Asian American like bring influences from both our upbringings you know like I I grew up eating you know pizza and stir-fry on the same d dinner table you know like my yeah. dad would bring home fast food and you know my mom would have you know her you know her cooking you know and we would eat it together you know so that's yeah. really like the inspiration where um, where it all came from tell us about the name as well Bopo Mofo I mean I, I took Mandarin classes yeah. so I know a little bit but uh, tell me about why you decided yeah to so that. if you don't know um, <laughs> was like or I guess some people um, it's basically the ABCs of Mandarin Chinese so the idea actually came from kind of like what I was saying earlier how our menu or our concept is very ABC you know like ABC stands for American Born Chinese and um, you know taking pride in that and we would say like oh yeah like our menu is, is like ABC food like it's like it's like you know there's like yeah, new yeah, there's, okay. there's like new American like that's like a that's like a genre of food new American so like, oh, we're new Asian American, you know? Um, so yeah, we're ABC food and we're like, okay, like we should be like ABC something, but there's so many ABC businesses, right? There's ABC, you know, cafes, ABC tile, whatever. Yeah. There's no, because ABC like doesn't actually mean, you know, what we wanted to mean here in America. So we're like, we had a light bulb moment. Eric was like, oh my God, we should call it Bokumofo because that's the ABCs yes. of, of, you know, of Chinese. Yeah. What's up guys, I'm Phil from Wong Fu Productions and this is my new cafe, Bopomofo, here in San Gabriel, California, and I'm part of the Cold Tea Collective. Other Wong Fu friends we met in 2019 include Desmond Chiam, Peter Sadarso, and more. Read more about the Wong Fu fam at coldteacollective.com. We even had a chance to sit down with Victoria Park, who can now be seen on the CW's The Flash. Now, one of the things she shared with us was a pearl of wisdom for life. Yeah, I think um, probably the pearl of wisdom that I would give um, would be something that I also need to hear myself. Um, and it would be just to not wait for someone to give you permission, but to give yourself the permission. I don't know, this is something I've kind of been like going through recently or like working through recently is um, just how much of how I am is because it's my personality or how much of it is because it's like culture or how I was raised or influenced. And I think a lot of times in Asian culture, you know, women are kind of taught to be more quieter in the background, like be a good mom, like be a good housewife kind of type of thing. And I think I've kind of taken that on a little bit in my youth. And so something that I've been trying to do is like, no, I don't have to wait for someone to give me a green light. I have to wait for somebody to tell me that it's okay. I can just like be brave and be bold and kind of make these moves myself. And it's gonna be okay, like no one's gonna stop me or tell me that I'm wrong. To hear the full conversation, check out our podcast episode with Wang Fu's leading lady. 
Now, being a storytelling platform, our main focus is to create opportunities for Asian millennials to share their personal experiences. And a lot of that has been inspired by those who shared their work previously, perhaps in the form of published books. In the fall, we launched Cold Tea Reads, an in-person and online book club celebrating Asian authors who tell stories, both fiction, non-fiction, across multiple genres. And the first book we chose for the book club was Ali Wong's Dear Girls, intimate tales, untold secrets, and advice for living your best life. We kicked off Cold Tea Reads in Vancouver, where an intimate group of people shared the books that they were reading, recommendations, and even the first time they felt represented by something they read. If you have any recommendations for Asian authored books, or you yourself are an Asian author, feel free to email us at coldtreads at coldtcollective.com. Representation isn't just for the books or the big screen. Representation is equally as important in the boardroom and in everyday life. The people that manage the companies, the people that sell us things, the people that buy from us too. Asians represent nearly a third of the American workforce, creating some of the biggest everyday use products and even services like YouTube, Twitch, and more. According to the US Census Bureau, there are more than 2 million Asian-owned businesses in America, with 39% of those entrepreneurs identifying as women. In the fall of 2019, we celebrated Asian entrepreneurs by kicking off our very first themed campaign, the Entrepreneur Series, and hosted our first marquee event to connect in person about the challenges and opportunities as entrepreneurs. Here's a clip from our Entrepreneur Series event featuring the stories of Asian Canadian entrepreneurs, Sonia Chinji, co-founder and CEO of Woodlot, Matt Murtaugh Wu, the Dumpling King, Bob Wang of Legacy Advantage CPA, and Vivian McCormick of Flax Sleep. It used to be very much something that um, was like materialistic and visible, and now it's very much about like energy and feeling. And it took me a very long time to get there. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, success uh, for me has changed over time. And more so than ever, it's kind of cyclical, and it moves from like validation, from like being on TV or like writing a cool article on a platform to like being recognized on the street. Like those are very superficial aspects, and they do make me feel successful, like I'm doing something of worth. Um, but you know, I'm not going to lie that success involves making money and being comfortable, and you know, growing commercially as well. But also like having that balance of like making time to go for a run and like not stressing out and having a good relationship with my family members and my friends and making time to go out and or just to have time for myself so um it's a holistic very much like sonia said it is a holistic thing but i do allow myself those little things of being like yeah you know people people follow me or like you know they recognize you or whatever right that to me keeps me going but it's not the sole reason of how i define success so it changes over time and it will if we sit down in another five years or wherever three years i'll probably say something different again so yeah keeps changing thanks matt so there's a difference between being busy and being impactful and uh, at university i didn't know the difference so i just thought being busy meant successful um, so I had a burnout at that, at that time, and, and I really took time to ask myself, what's the purpose of life for me? 
Uh, and so I basically, in that moment, uh, came up with the mission statement to be a godly man who loves his family and help others achieve success. And that mission statement drives me in every single decision that I make. So if you're unclear about you know, your purpose uh, or what you want to do next, you got to really think about you know, what does your tombstone say when you pass away? That's one of the things that my mentors asked me. And for me, it's that, it's that statement. So success means to me is every day, that I'm, uh, every day that I live, I am in pursuit of that vision. I am in, in the perp, in, on the path of loving my family and, and helping others uh, by adding value, by being here. Um, yeah, that, that's success to me. Mm-hmm. And to read a little bit more about um, you know, how Bob found his purpose, uh, we actually have, if you go to coldtcollective.com and search up his name, you'll actually find two articles, um, or actually a little bit more than that. But he actually wrote an article for us uh, last year um, about you know, how, he found, how he found his purpose as well. It's really, really interesting, so I definitely encourage you to take a read on that one. And Vivian, what does success mean to you? So I think um, for me, success is uh, leaving a positive impact on you know this world and my community. Um, so that's having the you know being able to grow a sustainable business. Hopefully, employ people in that business. Whoa, bedtime. Um, it's got yeah. real intimate right here. <laughs> um, and also, actually, you know, having the the sort of financial sustainability to be able to turn around and help other entrepreneurs. So whether that's investing in their businesses, whether it's um, becoming an advisor to those entrepreneurs, um, that's what I'd like to do. You'll definitely want to dig deeper to learn more about the entrepreneurial journeys of all of our featured entrepreneurs. If you go to coldycollective.com slash the dash entrepreneur dash series, you'll find all the links you need to read and listen more in depth and maybe even be inspired to do your own thing in 2020. From accounting to wellness, fashion, food, and more, we are so proud to support Asian business owners. So if you yourself own a business and want to partner with us in some way, feel free to email me, Natasha at coldteacollective.com, and we can figure out how we can collaborate and support one another. We're constantly looking at feedback on our content and learning about what stories resonate with you, as well as learning about what stories have yet to be told. Our contributors shared how they are reshaping our understanding of identity and representation from the lens of cultural practices and even the patriarchy, like in line dancing. You also took the leap to chase your creative communication through photos. Through our bi-weekly photog feature, we featured many of your experiences from the lens of Asian millennials in North America. And a piece that resonated in particular was our feature on Ivan Ng and why he left his comfortable job in the United States to cover the Hong Kong protests. Our queer Asian community shared with us what it means to be queer and Asian in North America and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Korean American actor and LGBTQ champion Jake Choi shared with us where he'd like to see us headed in terms of the representation of the queer Asian community in media, how we can be better allies, and a trailblazer he looks up to. How do you identify? In terms of like pronouns, um, orientation? You know, uh, he, him, um, his, and uh, I guess I'm pansexual, fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it depends on the person yeah. you know, that I meet. Um, 
yeah, it's not like my attraction is just just to one gender mm -hmm. or one type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, I, I read through some of your, your previous interviews and this kind of, um, I guess you started to realize who you truly were and kind of like learn more about yourself as a person through a job. Mm-hmm. Front cover? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tell front cover really um, helped me to sort of unlearn like the, the, the toxic sort of like homophobic conditioning um, that, that was drilled in me from like when I was a kid, mm -hmm. you know, so front cover really helped me to sort of shed that um, and to see just queer people in a different light, but also myself in a different light, mm -hmm. you know, and I realized, oh, okay, it's not, I, I, I'm not so straight, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like I'm just, I'm just into whoever, whoever mm -hmm. I'm, in, I'm into, and I think and I'm, I, you know, I think I'm not, I don't think I'm the first actor that this has happened to. I feel mm. like a lot of other actors who've done, um, who've played queer characters kind of realize, oh, you know what, like, I identify more with this character than I thought. Yeah. And that's, that's what happened with Front Cover. It took, it took a little while after I wrapped yeah. Front Cover, but maybe like a few years. Yeah. But I realized, oh, okay, yeah, I, I'm more comfortable using the term pansexual than like straight or like heterosexual. Right, sure. Yeah. 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 That's um, I mean, especially in in 2019, there's just there's so much new. I, I don't want to call it terminology, but there's so many um, new ways to identify. Mm -hmm. um, so for me personally, um, so my best friend came out as as bi uh, probably about like eight years ago now, mm -hmm. and so for me that was not not the first person that came out to me like as a, as a friend, but I was the first person that that he came out to. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I asked him was like. Wow! Like, how do how do you feel about this? Like, are are you happy with this um, this new discovery of yours? Mm -hmm. And second question I asked was, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And so I guess like for me, I want to understand um, from you like what you think, um, you know, perhaps like a community of allies can do to help support our queer Asian like friends, whether they be in entertainment or just like in every, like everyday life. Yeah, I think the main thing that comes to mind is, you know, when because I'm in a, I'm in a lot of straight spaces myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, my two best friends in LA and my two best friends in New York, they're they're all straight. Mm -hmm. So me being in those spaces, I have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when t when we're ha when we have conversations and things come up or people say certain things that might be homophobic or just a little hurtful to the community, mm -hmm. I it's my responsibility to sort of call them on that, mm -hmm. on the bullshit, or educate them. Mm -hmm. Is it my, is it always gonna be my job to do that? No, like, you know, it's not my job. Hopefully not. Yeah. Then, yeah. But, but also, <laughs> so this is the thing with, like, I think what straight people can do is kind of like, you know, if, 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 if you wanna be an ally, you gotta hold your own people uh, accountable. Mm -hmm. Because queer people are not gonna always have access to the, to the spaces mm -hmm. <clears throat> to help people who can be allies, right? Mm -hmm. Or educate them. So I think that's what people can do. And then of course, you know, just like support more queer Asian like content, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, movies or TV shows or web series or books mm -hmm. or podcasts, what have you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's a lot we can do. That's a lot. Like. Yeah, that's, no, a lot. that's, that's a lot yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. need to come up with an, an exhaustive list. But I think, um, you know, to your point, like what I take from that is that 
can be an ally in just like everyday mm -hmm. life and the everyday like single decisions like to say something yeah, yeah right yeah. Um, or lead by example yeah for sure um, one of our um, one of our editors for cold tea he identifies as a gay man mm -hmm. and so unfortunately he couldn't be here today his name's Tim but he had some questions for you yeah um, that I would love to pull up okay so um, specifically, um, you were actually recently honored with the Human Rights Campaign's Visibility Award. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's huge. Um, and, and you said in your, your acceptance speech, uh, my generation is far luckier than those who came before us. The real LGBTQ pioneers who struggled and paid the price to live their lives openly and, and honestly. Was there a trailblazer or someone that you really looked up to yourself to be able to, um, I guess, kind of, yeah, like, that if you if were if you were to thank someone for kind of opening those doors, opening a path for you, George Takei. Yes. Yeah. OG. OG. OG George. Um, I don't even have to say much when I say yeah. George Takei. We, yeah, enough said. <laughs> he was a trailblazer in many different ways, mm -hmm. um, and very brave for doing what for coming out when he came out. Mm -hmm. Even like being an actor at the time just choosing to be an actor at the time mm -hmm. after going through the internment camps and yeah. to stay in America and pursue um, a creative performing job mm -hmm. and to, yeah, come out when he came out mm -hmm. and not be apologetic about it all. 2019 marked a year of continuous improvement, collaboration and inspiration. And honestly, Cold Tea Collective would not be able to do what it does without the support of our amazing team members across North America. Now, to put it into context, this time last year in 2018, our team was four people. We've now expanded to 15 and growing. Our team members span from our home base of Vancouver, BC, to Montreal, New York, the Midwest, Los Angeles, and more. And we are just so incredibly humbled to have people reach out to us to collaborate, contribute, and really just get together to move the needle on sharing the Asian experience. So what does 2020 hold? Definitely more shared stories, experiences for us and by us. If you want to learn more about how you can contribute your personal story, go to coldteacollective.com slash share dash your dash story. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, The Tea, also on our website. And if once again you are an organization wanting to partner with us, please email me personally, Natasha at coldteacollective.com. And to end it all off, I want to wish all of you listening a wonderful, fulfilling, and prosperous 2020. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more Pearls of Wisdom.